1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Pickaxe Podcast, a brand new podcast presented by denverstiffs.com. I am your host, Adam Montes and I am joined today by a king, super fan, super blogger, super tweeter, Greg Wissinger. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Is Wissinger correct? Did I get that right? You got it. First try. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is because I've never actually met you in, in person, and I don't think I've ever even seen a picture of you, but your avatar is Vlade. And I just assume that's what you look like.
2: I get that a lot. Most really? people are very disappointed when they find out I don't actually look like Vlady.: You're not seven feet tall
1: with that? Uh,
2: sadly, no. I, I'd probably have a little more money in my bank account if I was <laughs> a seven footer. But
1: Vladdy goes with like the five o'clock shadow look. Huh? He ne- he, I've never seen him with a beard and he never is clean shaven. He's always like two days, like he's been in a cave for two days. You can find some old
2: pictures of him like fully clean shaven or with like just a mustache or goatee, but they're kind of hard to find. Mostly from his Charlotte
1: days. Mustache would be awesome. I got to look that one up. All right. We're recording remotely tonight, actually, over Skype. Um, We are not at Jake's Food and Spirits, but we will be at Jake's Food and Spirits on May 17th for a day that may go down in infamy for Nuggets fans the NBA Draft Lottery. The Nuggets sitting at 21.8% chance of winning a top three pick. And we will be having Stiff's Night Out. If you've never been to Stiff's Night Out, it's a big Nuggets party. There's going to be a bunch of Nuggets fans there, probably anywhere between 50 and 150, all pulling some good energy, hoping that the Nuggets can jump up in the lottery. So join us at Jake's Food and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. We'll have discounts on food and on beer, and we'll all be watching the draft lottery together. There's more info on denverstiffs.com so all right let's get right back into it greg um so i wanted to have you on because there's a lot going on with the kings right now and uh, there's a lot of crossover surprising amount of crossover actually between the nuggets and kings over the last two years um we're kind of shuffling the deck of coaches we swapped coaches between mike malone and george carl basically with a little brian shaw in between so I thought it would be a good opportunity to get an outsider's view on the Nuggets and then also just talk about the state of the Kings. So where I'll open up is actually with our man, Vladi. Vladi's one of my favorite players. Um, and I'm guessing he's a pretty beloved player in Sacramento. Just kind of broad picture, before he became, you know, he joined the front office, what did Vladi mean to the Sacramento Kings organization?
2: Yeah, I mean, he absolutely is one of the most beloved Kings players in our history. I mean, he was my Twitter avatar before he became GM, and it's been kind of conflicting at times (laughs) since then. But, I mean, he's one of the key players from the Glory era Kings, which was a a brief window in time when the Kings weren't a a terrible franchise. And Kings fans cling helplessly to that. I mean, Vladdy, Weber, uh, Bibby, Doug Christie, and those guys – like all kind of now are somehow involved in the Kings organization. right? Um, But Vladdy's always been the lovable guy. He's just the affable giant. He's the guy that even when he was a player, he was the glue guy that brought people together. No one disliked him. So he's always had that persona as a very beloved figure in our history.
1: As a player, I mean, he might be underrated really. I mean, a lot of people think of him as a guy that was traded for Kobe, the guy that was on those Kings teams, Lakers teams. But he was a phenomenal passer. I think. Do you think his game would have been would have translated even better into today's NBA, where post guys are really expected to be great passers?
2: You know, I think that the only struggles might have been his mobility covering yeah. bigs on the defensive end. Um, of course, his flopping would still hold up in today's <laughs> NBA. I think. Uh, but I mean, yeah, offensively, his passing, no doubt. Because I mean, even back then, the Kings operated a lot of the time with either Vladdy or Chris Webber in the high post and being the guys who moved the ball around. Uh, So it was almost ahead of its time in that sense. But uh, the only other question I think in today's game would be, could Vladi's outside shooting be enough to stretch
1: a defense? Right. Um, And so you mentioned that he, you know, a lot of what you're talking about him and, and him being beloved in Sacramento was before he joined. And one of the reasons I thought it'd be interesting, Nuggets fans here really want, chauncey to be involved in the organization in some way or another chauncey you know he had two stints with the nuggets but he's from colorado he's from denver Mm -hmm. um and he's just a really well liked well respected guy uh here in the city and i just wonder you know there's no guarantee that a guy like chauncey would be a good front office guy and there's even a chance that he would come in here we would enter a dark you know if, if things didn't go well that he might even ruin some of that uh that legacy do you think Flade first of all what what kind of job do you think he's done and do you think just the state of the Kings over the last 2 years is is affecting how he's viewed in Sacramento at all
2: Uh I think that people in Sacramento have gotten very good at kind of splitting their views on people into two different camps. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we can always love Vlade for what he did as a player, but can still openly criticize things he does as a GM. Sure. That being said, he probably gets a little more leeway than another GM might <laughs> right. for some things. Just because people do like him, they have a history with him, so they, they want to trust and believe in him. As far as how he's done, it, I mean, it's important to remember that really he came in and kind of really assumed control only in the final month or two of last season, you know, maybe right. maybe three months. I'm trying to remember the exact time frame, but it, it hasn't been a full two years even for him. Uh, so it's definitely been a mixed bag with him at the helm. There's been questionable moves. There's been you know trades that at the time were questioned and even now are questionable. Uh, the whole way that the Carl fiasco has been handled, and I'm sure we'll get into that as we move along, but. There were definitely some front office blunders along the way. No one denies that. But what's fun about it is I think people are still able to separate out the two.
1: One of the things I always say about uh, working in a front office is that it's just like playing. When you're a rookie GM, you're not going to be good in year one as you are in year three. There's a learning curve with these guys, and a lot of times learning on the fly is one of the toughest things to do. So I think we saw the same thing with Tim Connolly here in Denver his first year. You know, we brought in J.J. Hicks and we made some questionable, you know, decisions and that we even bringing in Brian Shaw, I think, was was a little bit strange. He's in year three now, and I think he's really starting to hit his stride, especially from a draft standpoint. Um, let's go over some of the things Vladi has been involved with. I think one of the things that stands out to me was the Rondo deal and which I don't think I think, you know, Rondo was OK this year. But I think the biggest thing was them giving him a one year deal with no options. To me, that seems like just a rookie, like like he wasn't really thinking past one level. Is that a deal you critique? Not really. I think that
2: more than anything, it was it was beneficial to both sides. Okay. You know, Rondo needed a one year deal to rebuild his value, and you know he got a, a decent contract, nine and a half million for one year. And at the same time, before last offseason, Sacramento was not a place where free agents signed. Right whether they were maybe past their prime or not a, a a name of Rondo's caliber didn't traditionally sign in Sacramento. And last summer not only did the Kings bring in Rondo, they brought in Marco Bellinelli, Costa Cufas, Karan Butler, you know, multiple name free agents who yeah you know, there were mixed results as far as how it all turned out, but that in itself I think did something to lend at least some semblance of credibility to the Kings it got washed away as the season went along, but at the time, you know, and it was one of those things where if it worked out well, there was no reason to think that if the Kings wanted to bring back Rondo, that they wouldn't have a good shot at it. Sacramento is a place that doesn't sound alluring to free agents, but there's a long track record of guys falling in love with the city once they've played there and lived there for a little bit. So I think it was one of those things that benefited both sides and, you're fine with and to be honest most Kings fans are perfectly fine if he walks this year (laughs) what do
1: you think will happen with him do you think he'll be back do you you hope he'll be back do you hope you let him go and move on I hope the Kings are not the team to overpay
2: him because I think somebody somebody will and he put up really nice looking stats this year but uh, true to his reputation many of those stats often came to the detriment of the team and the offensive flow and I mean, I'm perfectly, I came into the season a huge Rondo fan from his time with Boston, and now I would be just fine if he did not suit up for the Kings again.
1: What type, we're going to talk about Cousins here towards the end of the podcast, but what kind of point guard do you think works best with DeMarcus Cousins? Is there a style of point guard that, that would work best?
2: I think the best point guard for Cousins, and the reason why Rondo was actually a pretty good pairing with him, is that you know, Cousins has always needed someone who was really skilled at getting him the ball when you know he's he's being defended, but still, you know he's fronting a guy or, or you know however it may be, he needs someone who can get that ball and make that that entry pass. Mm-hmm. He hasn't traditionally played with a lot of guys capable of doing that, right. uh, so so Rondo had a knack for being able to get him the ball, whereas other guys couldn't, and and that was nice. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you need anything more than just someone who the defense has to respect as a shooter, you know, at least a little bit and who can make a good entry pass.
1: Right. Let me, let me ask you about Vivek because he's kind of become in a lot of ways, kind of the face of, of the Kings. And, and I mean that I guess in a negative way in that every time something bad happens with the Kings, it's kind of like, well, this is the, this is the show that he's running out there. Mm-hmm. Um, What are your thoughts on him? Because I'm guessing there's a lot more to him than what filters down to the rest of the league to what we see. I mean, we see him as the guy wearing um, VR goggles on the sideline and talking about playing four on five. But what are some of the things? What are some of your big picture thoughts on him as an owner? So I'd say it goes back
2: a bit to what I talked about with splitting the way you view someone. Uh Because in Sacramento, Vivek is viewed in two different ways. There's the business operation side and the basketball side. Right business operations he helped save the team he has followed through on every promise downtown is about to open up this brand new state-of-the-art arena that for a long time seemed an impossible dream for sacramento and the area around the arena is being developed and there you know there's a ton of growth happening in that area which is huge for the city and huge for the team itself so on that sense everyone thinks he's great he's done everything he said he would do right on the basketball side of things though it's it's been a wreck he's been way (laughs) too involved he's made he you know professes to surround himself with the smartest people in the room and not make the same mistake twice but twice now he's had a coach that was in place before the gm and it's worked out terribly both times you know first with michael malone and pete d'alessandro second with you know george carl and at a certain point you just want him to back off um i think he means well i think he's very used to being a guy who can just go in and make things happen you know i mean he you look back at his business history which king's fans are more intricately familiar with and he's a brilliant businessman he's done a lot of incredible things in his career Mm -hmm. but that and we've seen this with other franchises as well. That doesn't always directly s- translate to success in the NBA. Right. Uh, I hope Definitely. that much like a rookie owner, I hope that with time he gets better, he learns and, you know, stops repeating the mistakes, but time will tell.
1: I find Vivek so fascinating. I I would probably be, call myself a Vivek apologist a little bit in that I, j- I really like owners that are forward thinking. I like business people that are forward thinking and willing to experiment Willing to take big risks, but like you said, you got to know you got to stay in your lane. And there's a lane for him that's very well defined. All this business stuff, maybe trying, you know, the crowdsourcing thing. Like some of this stuff is okay; it's interesting in theory. But you bring in people that are better than you at basketball decisions, mm-hmm. and you got to stay out of that lane as much as possible. And and I think I don't know the guy, but just based off of interviews, and he gave a really interesting talk at Sloan this year. I think he's a guy that's going to actually be known for a lot more than some of his wackier basketball ideas. I think he's a guy that's going to grow, help grow the league in some creative ways. It might take five or six years for that reputation to drown out the, what he's built in his first two years. Um, but, but I kind of like the guy. He, I, he really does have a lot of interesting things to say about the future of media, the future of stadiums, the future of fan experience in inter- interaction. And, you know, I'm glad he's a part of the league. Yeah. And I really
2: like him and and who he is as a person. I mean, he was kind enough in his first year to come on my podcast, which was, oh, wow. I mean, it was a brief appearance, but it was awesome just to get to talk about where he saw the team going and, and all that. And I think that he's a really giving guy. I think he genuinely loves the city. I think he genuinely loves the team and wants it to do well. I think to your earlier point, though, he's kind of become the face of it, and I think he wanted that.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: I don't think that's always the best thing for the team or for his reputation.
1: It's a really funny contrast because here in Denver, we have—he's called Silent Dan, right? Silent Dan Kroenke, <laughs> but and his son Josh, who aren't the face of the organization, and on purpose, he stays out of out of the public eye by and large. And, you know, us, uh, the media members here in Denver are often less t- to speculate what it is he wants. Does he want an entertaining team? Does he want, uh, how does he feel about attendance, this and that? So it's, it's kind of interesting that they're really polar opposites in a lot of ways. And then I'll also say that Vivek and Sacramento, I think, are very forward thinking. And I'm very curious if the Nuggets are a team that is looking at experimental technologies and things like that. I would think that they're much more traditional organization and just how they they look to run the team and run the business side. Um, But let's move on to Mike Malone here because, you know, we had him here this this year. I would give him an A for the effort he did. The Nuggets were a team that was left in shambles when Brian Shaw left. Players didn't want to be here. Fans were dropping out. It was kind of dark days. And Malone came in here, and he did the, the, the thing that was most important, which is change the culture in the locker room, change the culture around. It became much more workmanlike. Um, what he was there for about a year and twenty days. Um, what was uh what were your impressions when he was in Sacramento as a coach and and just as as a figurehead?
2: So his first season it almost mirrored his first season in Denver in many ways. It mm-hmm. he came in, he fixed the culture. He connected with the team's star, Demarcus Cousins there were some growing pains there were times when he and demarcus were yelling at each other and not getting along great but ultimately what we know is it forged a a bond of respect and they were okay challenging each other and it was it was healthy conflict
1: Mm -hmm.
2: the results didn't happen on the court but you could see it building towards something Mm
1: -hmm.
2: fans were i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead uh fans were frustrated at times because you know it seemed like there was maybe a, a little bit too slow a pace or you know the offense offensive schemes maybe weren't as entertaining as people wanted but the defense really came along as the year progressed and then in the second year before he was inexplicably fired the team was winning games they were really turning the corner and you could see all of what he'd done in year 1 and how it built for year 2 I mean, if I'm a Nuggets fan, I am really excited to see what that team can do in year two under him just because of what kind of leap the Kings made in that short window we got to see.
1: Right. And I'm really curious too, although I'll say that, you know, this year the scale of which I judge him on is going to be a lot different than next year because, as I said, far more than wins and losses and this and that it was, um, was he having conflicts inside the locker room? Were guys showing up to games and, and, and kind of half-assing it up and down the court. And that didn't happen this year. We had bad games. We got blown out at home. But guys cared. The locker room cared. The players were intense and focused and prepared every night. Mm-hmm. And that was something we didn't see. I mean, the last three months of the Brian Shaw era were something I've never seen. You know, Ty Lawson didn't make it back from Las Vegas after the All-Star break. He just didn't come. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of stuff that would never happen this year. And I think – so. so that's the – that's kind of the metric with which I go. I, I judge him this year, but next year there's some things that I want to see. Namely, I think we were second or third to worst defense this year in defensive rating. We went. We actually got worse at defense this year. Um, that was the same with Malone when he was in Sacramento. There's some trends there that I that I get concerned about. We let. Uh, I think one of the highest three opponent three point attempt rates and three point field goal percentage rates. So. There are some concerns, and I think he'll be judged a little bit more harshly um just basketball wise what kind of coach would you say he is or or what did you what if anything, did you get from his year and a half in Sacramento in terms of what type of coach he is
2: yeah i i I thought he was a really good coach, but at the time he was fired, there were a lot of people that were convinced that well, if the Kings are doing this because they're about to bring in George Carl, it can be an upgrade mm. Of course, the Kings, you know, waited too long to do that. They dabbled with Ty Corbin in the middle and it just kind of I mean, if they had done a seamless transition, who knows if it would have worked out differently. But um, at the time he was fired, it wasn't a it was a shock but it was only in retrospect that we saw how bad a decision it was. At the time, it was it was understandable that, okay, he was a coach that maybe had some limitations. He was a rookie coach, so mm-hmm. maybe he could have developed past that. But, it, you know, there were concerns about the offense. There was concerns about uh, the defense wasn't as much a concern, though. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the defensive effort was there. You could see the schemes. You could see what was going on. I think he is very much a defensive-minded coach. Um uh, I think he may be a little limited on offense but again he is still very new to this and I think he has the potential and the basketball mind to grow into it. The thing I loved about him as a coach though was not just that he got buy-in from people but I mean as someone covering a team he gives you wonderful answers.
1: Completely, yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, he is open, he is honest and he approaches wins and losses the right way. You know, he he doesn't throw his team under the bus. Yeah, he takes all the blame when things go bad. He's the first to hand out praise, you know. But he gives you really insightful answers as well. Sometimes maybe to a fault. Right. But I I loved the experience of following him, even in you know losing stretches.
1: Yeah, I think um, you're absolutely right about him in, in the media and interaction. He gives, as Seth Partnow says, he gives great coach meaning he get he he talks in a way that reporters really really eat up because it's mm-hmm. interesting and insightful um i think um you know uh i think he's a guy that's very inquisitive about the game of basketball meaning he thinks about it on a phil- philosophical level and he seems like a guy that's very interested in learning more um mm-hmm. i would say he has traditional tendencies as a coach but whenever I'm at practice, and he'll really open up, especially when the recorders stop and, and, and you're just kind of sitting there talking to him, he'll really open up and go give you back and forth if you throw out a stat to him. He'll want him to know more. Um, he's a guy that I think the more information he can get, the more y- you know he'll eat it all up. So I'm curious to see if, uh, as the seasons go, if he revolves on some of his core philosophies um, that I would, like I said, I think some of his core philosophies are old school. Um, let me ask you about Boogie, though, again, because he's very quick. Uh, this Coach Malone is very quick to say, oh, I connected with Boogie. He's brought it up maybe a dozen times in the last month, just saying how much he got along. And I wonder, w- when when he got fired, Boogie really became outspoken about how much he liked him. Did you Was there a connection there? Is that connection real? Was it really well known for the year that he was there before? Or is it a little bit being played up after the firing?
2: No, it was absolutely real, and it was something that people saw and and knew existed beforehand I mean, mm-hmm. Cousins was playing not i mean especially on the defensive end at a level of engagement that he never had for any coach before, and you know they would argue and they'd have occasional blow ups and you kind of were like, "Oh, here's the other shoe dropping," but everything was always fine you know it was it was always that healthy conflict that you're always hoping you can have between your your best player and your coach um and it really really devastated cousins when they fired him and I mean, it pissed him off and last season was basically a lost year once right he was gone because cousins were like you fired him for this i mean the the Ty Corbin experiment was such a disaster. Yeah. And the fact that they were so convinced that he would get just as much, if not more,
1: out of that roster. And it. I can't imagine anybody with a basketball mind thinking that Ty Corbin would take over and, and that would be a success. That, well, to, it's, beyond, it's beyond a reasonable argument for me.
2: Well, depending on which side of the, the blame game you believe, you currently employ the, the man behind that decision. So. Although, <laughs> albeit
1: not in a basketball role, I am told. Right.
2: <laughs> there was a lot of insistence that he would be somehow involved in basketball, but uh,
1: that quickly went away. We're, we're talking, of course, about Pete D'Alessandro, who was, yeah. a, who was brought back to Denver after his stint there in Sacramento. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, let's move on to, uh, you talked about Malone. Here, I think the diehard Nuggets fans that that have kept with the team, which is not many, by the way, were the the least popular team in the NBA. But the diehard fans, I think, like Malone. The casual fans that have all left and and weren't paying attention this season, they all still like the guy that we let go three years ago in George Carl. Um, He's kind of, uh, he is maybe the most popular Nugget, of the last 10 years. Um, I would, I would say it probably goes some order of Carmelo, Allen Iverson, George Carl. Um, What, what did you think when, when they hired George Carl when when going into it, did you think, well, here's a guy that's had success everywhere he went, let's give this a shot. Or did you think from the start that it was a doomed partnership? I was thrilled with the hire. Mm.
2: I thought it was several months too late. I, you know, I thought that, they should have pulled the trigger on that far earlier i mm-hmm. thought all right we've got a coach with hall of fame credentials a guy who i've paid attention to during his run in denver especially you know being so close and he adapted to the roster in ways that i hadn't really seen him do before you know between you know pre and post Carmelo trade that particular season, the the adjustments he made right. in style of play were something that traditionally Carl had never done. So I really believed that it was going to be great and he would find a way to utilize cousins really well. You know, he brought in his old crew of assistants and they were talking about all the different ways you could use cousins in the dribble drive offense. And it seemed like something like, okay, we've got, we've got a good player. We've got a budding core. We've got, hall of fame coach we've got what we need and carl's had success everywhere he's gone
1: right one of the things i I think is interesting with i want to make a, a real quick note about boogie is that as much as i think those two didn't really get along george carl might have opened up boogie's game in a way that might pay off later i mean he was he was using him as the trail guy a lot of times in transition letting him shoot the three letting him set the drag screen i think he there's a chance that whoever comes in next year looks at that and says, well, now we have a year of experimentation with this boogies a little more comfortable. And, and he grows as a player from that. Do you, do you see that at all?
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And it's, it's probably an underrated aspect of what Carl did for the Kings because you know, cousins obviously is not going to credit Carl for that because the two didn't get a, um, <laughs> uh, and and fans. I mean, fans in Sacramento, we we turned on Carl pretty quickly, and mm-hmm. I count myself among those. Uh, but absolutely opened up that aspect of the game, gave him the freedom to to jack up threes, and turns out Boogie can hit some threes, which is kind of a a surprise to all of us. Uh, and there's a debate about how much Carl was using him in that way. I think. That's the, the bigger concern, but I especially love it in that role of, okay, Cousins is not always the fastest guy up and down the floor, but if he's the trailer and can hit the three, that's a huge threat that
1: right. really
2: throws off a transition defense. Right. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely pieces that you can take from the season and hopefully implement them and, and use them going forward. Other than bringing him in sooner,
1: were there things that Kings could have done to make that fit a little bit better, bringing George Carl in?
2: I really don't think so, and mostly because, I mean, I, there were things I was aware of with Carl, but when he's not the coach of your team, you don't see it quite as much that were just, I don't think they were ever going to really work with Cousins. Specifically, the way that Carl believes you should be able to motivate a team by trashing them in the media
1: <laughs> right,
2: <laughs> doesn't go over well with Cousins, especially right. when he was so used to someone who was more Malone style of, Heaping praise on players and accept and taking the blame himself publicly and then criticizing in
1: private. For guys that don't watch the <laughs> press conferences or aren't there, this is it. Really, is a black and white contrast because Malone never. You can't get him to say a bad thing. A guy will have a terrible night, won't he'll be give half effort or what have and you'll try to get him to say something about it and he will not throw a player under the bus. He yeah. will not do it. And George Carr will do it after a guy scores fifty. He'll talk. Yeah. He'll <laughs> talk about that one time he didn't get back on defense or something. So, um. Like, and, and George well, Carl's is like, good about it. I mean, I, he's not. There's other coaches I think that are more negative. Brian Shaw, God, Brian Shaw. But George Carl has a way of doing it kind of like in a Phil Jackson sort of way where, you know, he's challenging the player through the media. But it's still a very, very pronounced difference between him and Malone. Well, and especially when the season did not get off
2: to a good start, <laughs> Car- Carl's tact kind of went out the window and it almost got comical at a point where. He would find a way to trash Willie Cauley Stein after having a great night, like a career high scoring. He's like, "Well, a lot of those were just lobs that were yeah. good passes." And it's <laughs> right. Like, it's <laughs> like if it was that easy, why hasn't he, why haven't you had uh, people doing it all year? That's <laughs> like,
1: a, that's such a classic, George. Too. Yeah. It was good lobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, in hindsight, do you think there was any point? Say last summer, when you bring in George Carl. Would you have ever supported a Cousins trade that centered around Gallo, uh, Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Reed, and and sort of just tried to rebuild that 57-win Nuggets team in Sacramento? Um,
2: yes and no. Um, I've always been very opposed to trading Cousins, but i really like a lot of the pieces on the denver roster and especially now with gallo there was of course the question mark we didn't know what yeah. he was gonna look like come back from injury right. and you know all that so uh but for reed uh at a point i was still a very big fan of lawson and thought that he would do a lot more right than he did over the past year uh Yeah, I mean, Wilson Chandler is criminally underrated as far as what he brings to a roster. I I think it'd be a bigger overhaul to turn a team into that than I think that... I mean, the team that George Carl coached and Messiah Jerry created, I think there were several seasons that built to that. It's not something you can recreate overnight.
1: Right, and I know Um, Isaiah Thomas was gone, but he's kind of a on the t- on the style of basketball that at 57 when his nuggets played he's kind of an upgrade of ty, of ty Lawson. and he does a lot of the same things only better um so if you could have somehow se- kept him and 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 added this george carl style and team to it, it, it i think it would have been a very interesting team um it might have had a ceiling that a team with cousins can break through but it might have been fun
2: Man, we're we're in difficult enough territory talking about losing Malone. You got to bring up
1: losing Isaiah too. <laughs> I, on, know, <laughs> I know, I know. Well, uh, tell me, what do you think on a scale of one to ten? Because you guys are right now looking for a head coach. You're in the search. It sounds like you guys are casting a very wide net, interviewing every possible candidate. On a scale of one to ten, how desirable is the Kings' head coaching position right now? Ten being the most, one being the least desirable. Um. The- about a two. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I mean,
2: I don't know if that's necessarily fair or not, but I realist I mean if I approach it realistically, what's the outside reputation of the Sacramento Kings? You've got a meddling owner, you've got a novice front office guy, you've got a, a star who is extremely talented but notoriously uh difficult to work with and is only ever really connected with one coach. You have, you know, young guys who've never developed like Ben Macklemore. You have uh, mm. uh, pick swaps with Philadelphia hanging over your head and picks owed to <sighs> Philadelphia and Chicago. I mean, it's not a bright situation to enter. I think the only reason it's not a one on that scale is because you do have a player as talented as DeMarcus Cousins that, you know, if you know how to get the most out of him, you can uh, you at least have something there.
1: Right. Who's your pick? I know that a lot of the candidates have name. Let's let's just assume that Vogel is also in the mix, just because it sounds like his his days are numbered there in Indiana. Um, from all the people that are being thrown around, is there a guy that stands out to you? So if
2: if Vogel was willing to come to Sacramento, which would shock me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he would be my top pick. I think it's crazy that uh, he's going to be out with the Pacers. I think if the Kings can land him suddenly he does a lot of the same things in a lot of similar ways to what Malone does, but with a higher level of pedigree and success, you know, I right. mean, I think he's a guy who absolutely gets the most out of whatever roster he's given. Like yeah. we saw this year where I don't think anyone pegged that as a playoff team, even if Paul George was back to a hundred percent. So he'd be at the top of my list. Uh, other guys that I'm really high on would be Kevin McHale. I mm, think that he would be an excellent fit. Uh, I don't I know also, if Kevin
1: McHale has the stomach for for Boogie right now after going after leaving Dwight uh, to go to. I know that those two guys are completely different, but he might just want some time off.
2: Yeah, I think that. Well, he's he's had talks with the Kings, so right. at least you know we don't know where that's at. But I, if he came in, I actually think he and Cousins would mesh very well. Mm. Uh, McHale's talked about how his ideal offense would be running through a dominant big man. Uh, He also has philosophies that you you can't just try to force your offense on whatever roster you have, which George Carl, uh, (laughs) you know, but uh, I think also I think Cousins would respect him. I think McHale's resume speaks for itself, not just as a player, but as a coach. I mean, he's been in the front office, so I I think it would be good all the
1: way around. It's hard to judge McHale because what a disaster that Rockets team was this year, but Just watching him interact with his team here in Denver in years past, he seemed like such a player's coach. I remember him walking off the court in a close win and just hugging guys and everybody laughing. And you could just tell he connected to players in a way that only a player can, a former player can. Um, I didn't get that vibe this year when he was here in Denver. In fact, I joked on Twitter that he yelled at me. Um, I tried to ask him a question during like a four-game losing streak about about what he's learned, (laughs) and he didn't really take to that question very well. Basically said that he hadn't learned anything. But I wonder, I I like to think of him as a player's coach. I love McHale. I loved him as a player. He plays the post position the way I think it's supposed to be played, uh, or at least one of the ways, which is through really good passing and and, and not turning the ball over. Um, So it would be interesting to see him. uh, And, I mean,
2: if there's a coach who could really get the most out of you know, showing boogie moves in the post and, and really untapping his full potential. I mean, right. man. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's other names that I think are appealing. You know, Atori Messina. You know,
1: he's a fascinating one for me.
2: I don't know how that would work with Cousins because he's a little no more way.
1: soft-spoken. But I think it's a an interesting idea. Um, when I was researching coaches for when when the Nugget spot was open everything I read about him was how strict he was. He was a no-nonsense guy. He's thrown the best player of his team off the team before he's completely cut him. And I'm thinking, like, that's a European thing. That's not working in the NBA. I'm sure he's learned a lot under Pop, but he's a big question mark. The highs are really high with him, and the lows are really low just from what I've read about him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bigger question mark than a lot of Kings fans would maybe – except but i agree i think he's learned i'm sure a lot under pop he also uh was there in la during the d'antoni era with i mean dwight and pow and kobe so i mean he's he's been through that ringer and kind of seen do's and don'ts from from mike d'antoni so uh i think he's an interesting name though just i mean on basketball pedigree alone
1: right let me ask you: The Nuggets waited a hundred days between firing Shaw and hiring a, a new coach. What, what do you? What would the time frame be that you expect a new coach to be announced?
2: At this point, I would expect we have probably another month.
1: Oh wow! So you think it'll be a quite pretty, a little bit of a drawn out process?
2: I believe so. I think they have said that they are going to be purposefully deliberate. They have a lot of people they want to interview. There's quite a few people they want to interview that are on staffs with playoff teams, and you know, they are obviously going to work around those schedules. And you know if those teams don't end up having good gaps where they can line up schedules and do interviews, it's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we're in June before the Kings have a coach.
1: So the draft is in June, and if we're waiting till June, I, I feel like you draft players. Usually you take the best player available, in most cases, but you still draft a little bit around your roster and around the coaching style. So it will be interesting if they're they're stringing it out all the way right up into that point, um, especially if they get a coach that is you know plays a very deliberate, or specific style of basketball. Um, let's move on to the last one here, which is Demarcus Cousins, because he's such a fascinating player, man, and so hard to pay, uh, to to nail down what he is. I think he's a top ten basketball player in the NBA at the same time he's never had a winning season he's some guys say that he's a great teammate some guys say he's terrible it's hard to coach he's easy to coach um are you i, I i've read some of your stuff and i know and i know from your twitter history that you're you're pretty in Cousins' corner you're 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 fully in team team cousins's corner aren't you i think demarcus cousins on the court and
2: probably in the locker room is a huge asshole <laughs> um <laughs> but I think he's one of those guys that that could be said for a lot of stars in the league. Right. And I don't think it's a deal breaker. Right. I think it's something you deal with and you work around and you know, you, I think the talent is worth it. You know, I've, I've never worried about the text because you look at the league leaders in text and he's there among many other superstars. Right. That part you, doesn't bother me. You look at, you know, some people don't like him in the locker room and he's even said this offseason. He's like, well, I, I know the guys that don't like me and I don't really care. <laughs> <Right>. Like, <laughs> I mean, um, as for the losing season, I mean, many great players have been on terrible teams, and we know enough about basketball. I would hope that we know that a single player cannot will a team to victory. Right. No matter how
1: fun a narrative that is, it's always a team game. I was looking at the Sacramento roster for that season under Malone, the full season. You guys had 23 guys suit up for you. Yeah. Uh, and play significant minutes. I mean, all those other than a handful of them, I think Royce White played only like three games. But 23 guys to suit up for you, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of sorting through role players and this and that. Um, Cousins' career has been that way, really, where he's playing with different guys every year, different coaches. I feel like the jury is still out on him, but at the same time we're kind of getting to his prime where uh, I'm really curious to see if he makes a leap and if his teams can make a leap. Um, But let me move it to this. Let me ask you the question this way. What would it take for you to be ready to move on from from Cousins?
2: I think it all depends on what you get back. I mean, realistically, so because even now,
1: the right the right deal, you would you would be okay with.
2: Of course, I I don't think you should ever be in a place where you say this guy could never be traded. There's always some package. Now, how mm-hmm. realistic that is, right? I don't think it's realistic to think that some team is going to come and give you an offer that is enough to replace a DeMarcus Cousins. Right. Just like there wouldn't be an offer that would realistically be enough to replace LeBron James or Kevin Durant or right. you know any of these other guys. Not to say he's quite at that level, but the same concept applies. No matter how many great assets you get back in a deal, there's something about replacing someone who is that dominant a player that You know, at a certain point, you are trading a dollar for a handful of nickels, right? And so, if the right deal comes along and the kings genuinely believe that it can make the team better, you make that deal. You know, I don't know what that deal looks like, there's been different ideas that have been thrown around that I've been pretty okay with at various times, but when I look back at them in hindsight, I'm usually happy that the kings still have cousins, (laughs) right? Especially because every year he continues to get better. Right. Uh so, you know, it it's it's a tricky conundrum, but I think that the idea of trading cousins is something that is perpetuated more by wishful thinking from GMs and fans outside of Sacramento than it is from within.
1: Gotcha. What happens this year though, you know, you get a new coach, um, that you maybe add a couple pieces and the same thing's happening. He's fighting with the coach. He doesn't he's not happy. He's uh his play is up and down. You know, if we get towards that trade deadline and we're and things are looking just like they did this year with, with George Carl, do you think? Do you think there's a point that the the well is just poisoned and there's no salvaging it?
2: Absolutely, and I mean we've seen that with other you know guys in the past in different situations where eventually you just need to move on for the benefit of both sides. Right. I th- genuinely believe that whoever the Kings decide to hire as a coach needs to be someone that they believe with or without DeMarcus cousins is the right guy for the next three years at a minimum.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think yeah. that, and they need to empower him to whoever it is. They need to empower that coach to hold DeMarcus accountable. They need to empower that coach to, you know, discipline him if need be. And they need to support their coach over cousins this time because for the first time in I think it's been since Rick Adelman was let go this is the first genuine coaching search the Kings have done hmm. and they have to get it right I mean if they blow it and get the wrong guy and it's a disaster I think you almost have to scrap cousins and, and move on anyway because at that point you've you've screwed up too many
1: other things. My hunch, and I have no reason for thinking this, but my hunch is that the Lakers are going to go really, really hard after Cousins this summer. And if they win a, num- a number one or number two pick in the lottery, I could really see them packaging that and, and obviously several other their assets and maybe getting a third or fourth team involved to try to go after DeMarcus. Um, I, think, I think they want to make a quick turnaround, a quick splash. And if you look around the league, there's a handful of free agents, but I think bringing Boogie in... Um, would be step one to trying to lure free agents. So I think that's that's one team that I would kind of keep my eye on as the draft gets closer to see if they're positioning themselves to go after him. And you never say never, but I would be
2: flabbergasted if the Kings traded Cousins in the Pacific. That's true. That's true. Uh, Especially to the team that is... The most hated team in sacramento
1: <laughs> could you see uh not not trying to put pieces together but just on sure. the players involved in the front office could you see sacramento and Denver ever working together?
2: I doubt it simply because of simply because of the i don't know if there's necessarily animosity between the front offices right I, that's probably the wrong word, but I think that there's enough overlapped history as you might say (laughs) that i i just don't see them as likely trade
1: partners it's kind of i think it's like the ex-wife thing right it's it's like trying to make a deal you know with two ex-wives or something and i don't it's just weird i don't know if it'll work
2: if i was in charge and i had made the decision to get rid of cousins i would be calling denver because i love the young assets the draft picks you guys have i i think that you could put together the best trade package, the, the one that I would
1: find the most appealing. My my big thing, I don't actually want Cousins, and I think he's a tremendous player. I wherever If he stays in Sacramento, I'm going to watch Sacramento. If he goes somewhere, I'm going to watch there. The reason I don't want him is because I love Jokic, and Cousins is a better player. There's no question about it. Jokic will probably never be as good as Cousins is, at least on an individual level. Mm-hmm. But if you brought him here, even if you, you kept Jokic, Jokic just becomes a backup, and that kind of becomes his ceiling. Um and that's just I know it's kind of silly to say teams always overvalue their young stars and what have you but I, I I'm happy with our center position more than any other position so if we're going to make a big slash I'd rather it be at one of the other four spots
2: well, and, of course, the, the hallmark of a good trade is that fans on both sides are pissed, right? <laughs> right. So, I mean, to me, if I'm in that deal, like, the only way I'm happy with it is if Jokic is coming back as part of that package. Now, I know that that would outrage Denver fans. Right. And I think for good reason. I think there's plenty of reason to be excited about a guy like him. Right. Um, but at the same time, Sacramento Kings fans would be like, well, we don't even <laughs> know if he'll be as good as – you know." right. right. <laughs> But I, I love Jokic. I think he's amazing. But, I mean, you watched their
1: matchups this year, and Cousins just had his way with them. So some people don't know this, but you guys won a coin flip. Uh, you, yeah. beat, you beat Denver in a coin flip, so now you get the sixth pick, or at least that's where your your odds are that you'll land. Is there anybody in the draft? Uh, seven. Seven? I think we're seven, no? I think you're eight. Uh Man, I would be shocked if I was wrong about this. Either way, you're a spot ahead of us. Yeah. Um, Is there anybody you have your eye on? in uh in this upcoming draft have you turned your focus that way yet i haven't strictly because there is still i mean
2: kings kings have been in the lottery for 10 years <laughs> now right so i know that until the lottery happens you just kind of wait and see where you're going to end up um you know especially with all the uncertainty that if the Kings jump and are ahead of the Philadelphia 76ers, they'll swap picks. So, <laughs> right. I mean, it, 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 there's almost no way to predict where the Kings will, will end up, but they'll probably end up somewhere close to where they're picking now or maybe one spot back. Yeah,
1: gotcha. too.
2: And, uh, yeah, so.
1: All righty. Well, last one, Greg. This has been fun, man, but last one I want to ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. And remember, you're on a Nuggets podcast, so maybe that'll affect. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that'll affect your answer. But there's a lot of uncertainty around Sacramento, Denver. There's a lot less uncertainty, um, but still an off season. Who's going to have the better record at the end of the year next year? Ooh, they have the exact same record this year. If I have to pick
2: today, I'm picking. The nuggets because we know what their young assets look like they've got three you know was it two or three first round picks this year they they've currently got, have three they've got an established coach who I believe in you know I I think that there's a lot to be excited about in Denver whereas there's just so much uncertainty and so much that has to be done correctly and I don't know if they'll actually do it all correctly or not right. so, right. so so yeah, I would say just because I don't even know who our coaches, I'm gonna
1: <laughs> give it to the Nuggets for now. That's funny. What are the, what are the odds that you think Brian Shaw ends up in Sacramento?
2: Uh, I am gonna say zero point zero 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 one percent. That seems like a rumor that got started as a favor to an agent. <laughs> ah,
1: gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That's like Vinny Del Negro. Yeah, Vinny Del Negro <laughs> and Brian Shaw are gonna be in every every coaching vacancy yeah. rumor. <laughs> um greg man has been a lot of fun hey are you going to be at summer league this summer probably not
2: i've got a i've got a day job and a wife and kids and mm-hmm. i i don't get to jet off to vegas for a week and goof <laughs> off unfortunately uh, unfortunately well
1: <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on thanks for sharing all your king's knowledge and and knowledge on all the, cr- the the crossover that the kings and nuggets share at this point including sharing a record so it'll be interesting to kind of see these two teams and if they stay on the same path together or if they diverge and And just follow them. So, thanks for coming on. And uh, where can where can people read you and follow you? Yeah, uh,
2: I'm on Twitter at gwis g w i s s, and then ixtownroyalty dot com. And yeah, that's that's it. it. That's it.
1: Thanks a lot. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: one offer per account offer subject to change 12.99 per month value offer valid for new amazon prime members metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some t-mobile customers video at 4 p. capable device required see store for details and terms and conditions